Sean Six from the Liquid Conversations, and I'm here with who? Amir Durak. Biddy Cobra. And from what band? Julian Kay. So my question was, you guys literally left a very lucrative career. <laughs> you left the safe bet to do that. And it's been a while. You guys have been doing this for a while. That's the thing. Yeah. Um, well, it wasn't really our choice, unfortunately. I, I think you probably know yeah. that. Um, yeah, the band just orgy became right. very dysfunctional. Um, you know, Ryan and I and all the guys would have loved to continue and right. and create our weird version of death pop that we were doing. But, you know, it just got to the point where stuff wasn't getting done and time was starting to fly by. And Ryan and I started writing a lot. And that's how Julian K formed. It wasn't like, oh, we're going to leave and, and go do this. It was kind of like, well, we're kind of bored and we, we've got all these songs and right. we'd like to do something with them. So we just started kind of doing stuff on the side, not thinking that we wouldn't still do orgy at some point once everybody, you know, got their shit together. <laughs> did, did you, I mean, look, being in a band in general is a very risky venture for mm -hmm. a lot of people. Okay? Yep. A lot of people will say, well, why did you think that was a good career choice? By any means whatsoever. You have an option to, okay, well, I'm going to be an accountant or a carpenter or whatever. You can actually have a consistent paycheck every single day, support your house, your family, you, and it's safe, but you get involved in music and pretty much every single day is a crapshoot. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a question that I know I ask myself and have been asking myself my whole life, you know, but there, there's like a certain point you get to and you kind of realize that this is your path and you have to accept it or not, you know, you can... You can throw the towel in you and can, you can buck the system. And yeah. Say, can do that. Yeah. Just, you know, but I think at a certain point I kind of realized it. I mean, honestly, my interests at a very young age were electronics, okay. believe it or not. I was very sort of inclined and in fixing things and, you know. Right. But I used to also do magic shows. <laughs> Which is crazy. And so okay, there was so this you weird... Been, you could have been the next Chris Angel. In yeah. <laughs> so there was something in me that wanted to be some sort of a performer, but at the same time I had this like technical okay. skill. And so... And I that, that still carries over to who he is right now. Like he is... <laughs> I still do magic shows. Yeah, I still do magic shows. He does magic shows for us. Is he like, you know, well, I'm going to do this and you're going to be amazed and why is your shit broken? <laughs> I can fix that. That's that he's Pretty a tech much, guy. Actually. He's a tech guy. He's a technical guy in the band and you know, he, he makes magic happen in the studio. How about that? Thanks, Very buddy. nice, dude. That's slick. Yeah, I like thanks. that. Uh, I had to say it for you. Yeah, you know, if you said it about yourself, that would be really yeah, cocky. It would. Um, but yeah, I just kind of, I sort of fell into it in a way. I mean, I started getting into music probably in my mid teens and um, I was really interested in synthesizers because that's, you know, of course I'm going to date myself, but that's when they started appearing around that time. And we're probably the same age. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, I would go into Guitar Center and there was like, you know, mini Moogs and ARPs and all this stuff. And I'd just, you know, go in that room where no one was in there. You know, it was like this new room at Guitar Center and I'd start, guys you know, hair out there playing guitar. Put, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm in here. No. Nope. And I'd start pushing the buttons and turning. And I was like, whoa. Like, what is this? You know, so I was like immediately was like wanting that. And then my dreams were destroyed because my cousin bought one. <laughs> Jim, my cousin Jim. Yeah, he bought it before because he was a little older. He had a job and, you know, so he ended up coming home with like a, I think it was a micro Moog. And um, so then I was kind of like, well, shit, what am I going to do now? So I, I, I don't know. At some point, at that point, I started listening to a little more like metal and like Judas Priest and all this other stuff well, and so 
really, for the most part, was the metal band out of the 80s. Yeah. So they had the only songs that were actually radio friendly at the time. Totally. <clears throat> you couldn't play an Iron Maiden song on the radio, Mm-mm. but you could play, you know, you could do anything, you know, from Priest at that yeah. point. Yeah. Yeah. I think I mean, they especially were. Especially if it was from Turbo Album. I think they were playing, I think the first stuff that started getting played, because at that time, live albums were the thing. Right. Like everybody was breaking off live albums, right? Peter Frampton started it, I think, right? And then after that, it was just a landslide. Like every rock band had a live album. And I guess Kiss Alive 2 is a big one, too. We don't, um, well, we don't mention them because we have to probably owe them money now. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> if you mention Kiss, I mean, oh, shit, I did. Yeah, that's. Sorry. Gene's going to assume. 25 cents. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so everybody was doing live albums. Priest had their live album, and I think it was Diamonds and Rust and Green Manalishi, which were like covers, right? Um, I think those got on the radio, but that was around the time where I started listening to them, Hellbent for Leather and that, that era. And so I started thinking, hmm, maybe I'll play guitar. So I started playing guitar. My cousin was kind of dabbling the keyboards, and that's kind of how it started, you know, but... I was always the guy that was like bringing my tape recorder over and recording what we were noodling and whatever. So already I was starting to engineer. When you get engineer. on stage now, do you look back at that point in your life where you think, okay, so I'm still that kid that's thinking I'm at Guitar Center. I'm in the room with uh, all the keyboards and all the electronica stuff, and I'm the only person there. Do you, are you still thinking about that? Yeah, I, I probably haven't changed that much, honestly. I mean, over the years, I'm always trying to find those little magic gizmos toys whatever that make those weird sounds and how was that for you <laughs> uh you know what i i do it later when i'm on stage i'm kind of living in the moment and it, it i guess subconsciously i do think about those things but i'm in the moment and i just kind of just amaze myself of where i'm at in the moment but later on late at night i'm having a cigarette outside and i'm just like damn dude what the fuck did just happen you know these are things that you dream of as a kid did you get that moment where you're like okay so i, I should pinch myself right now thinking i'm lucky that i'm here i could be you know, working a retail job or, you know, working at Dunkin' Donuts or something like that. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I always knew I was going to end up doing this, but I didn't know in what fashion or at what time. Okay. You know, so... I'm just grateful to be here. And it, it is, you know, it's something that, you know, I, I think about it. There's so many musicians walking down Sunset Boulevard right now with a guitar on their back, just waiting for their shot. And they're like, you know, give them two weeks. And they're like, oh, shit, I went to, I should have went to Nashville. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, yeah, I'm very lucky. But, you know, at the same time, it's, it's not just luck. It's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of uh, self-belief. It's a lot of knowing what you're good at, you know, knowing your craft, knowing your path, because there's just different types of people out there, different types of artists, different different types of musicians. There's people out there that are just great guitar axemen, you know. There's people out there who are great writers, and there's people out there who are just that, you know, you just got to know who you are and be the best of that. I had a conversation. Uh, it started about two years ago with this guy, and he's a drummer and uh, a fairly well-known band. They've been around for 20 years. And he had a conversation with somebody out on the road or whatever, and they said, you should feel fortunate you don't have a real day job. And he was like, well, what do you mean I don't have a real job? He's like, do you think me leaving my family and spending time away from home and, you know, suffering in, you know, a van or, you know, an RV or a tour bus that breaks down on the side of the highway, you don't have AC with 11 people in there and it's like, you know, two weeks and he's like, you don't have a, you know, a chance to take a break or, you know, get a, get something decent to eat or something like that. He's like, how is that not a job? You, you nailed yeah. every yeah. single thing. I just spent time on a band <laughs> yeah. with no, okay. uh, uh, good. Uh, it's 
that's good that you did that. Rolling through Flint, Michigan, going, do I drink the water because I'm really thirsty right now? Yeah. Do I want to? No, people. You know, it's funny the whole rock stardom thing and whatever. You know, and they see you on a big stage or even in a club or whatever. They really have no idea what goes on behind the curtains. And even if you try to tell them, the curtains a good reference. Yeah, the Wizard of Oz. Yeah. No, even attention to the guy behind. Yeah. Even if you try to tell them or whatever, it's just like it, it doesn't really. No one really gets it. No one really understands actually how hard it is to do all of this stuff and not only to make it happen, um, but to actually get through it all. Like every every tour, you know, that we do is it's always very difficult. There's there's so many you really have to be on your toes. You really have to be able to, you know, at a moment's notice, it's like, oh, shit, something just went south. And now we have to figure out how we're going to fix how are we going to get through this? It's the it's the legal stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're good. I mean, I can we do, no, you're good. Wood. Go ahead. So we had somebody that came into uh, what we're doing the interview here and interrupted us for a second, and um, she came in with a stack of papers. Yeah, and we're actually. And getting, what does that mean? We're actually getting paid. You get paid. I know. Isn't you get that paid weird? to do this. It's crazy. Yeah, right? it's crazy. I, I thought I think you I spent... did this for exposure. Well, you know what? You have to do a lot of that in the beginning. You have to do a lot of stuff for free in the beginning as a music. You have to play free games. Okay, so where do you call? Where do you call the line? Well, then, you know, and that's a good reference point. Because like we're talking about this whole thing about a lot of people don't have the idea what bands actually go through. They they think that it's it's you know, very pump, glamorous. Pump that it's circumstance. Yep. You're famous. You're rich. You're driving. You know whatever. It's it's 1980. Huge parties going on and, back you know, here. You're on the yeah. you're on the million dollar tour bus. Yeah. The problem is is that you're not on any of that stuff anymore because labels don't exist like no. that. And now it's a feast or famine. Mm-hmm. So the fact that somebody hands you a piece of paper that says you're actually going to get paid for your performance here in Boston tonight. Yeah. What does that mean to you at this point? After being with Orgy and after well, doing all that stuff, we, what does it mean now? It means that we put that into a spreadsheet and it's part of a bigger <laughs> budget yes. and a bigger picture of things. Well, does <laughs> music it's, become that it's one piece. Statistical? Yeah, it's it's one it's one piece of the puzzle, you know. Um, we're very fortunate that we have amazing fans who right. support us in many ways. Like, you know, they buy our merch, they buy they come and they do VIP with us, they support our crowdfunding campaigns. So this is just this is actually a new piece that we're building on now because I feel like in the on the music side of it and, and even the video side and all of that part of the artistic side of it, right. we kind of know what we're doing now. Okay. You know? Um, could it be better? Better, always, right? We're always learning. We're always right. trying to build it, trying to grow it. Um, but the touring side has been very difficult for us. We had some amazing opportunities in the beginning, but because of some business entanglements and other things, it really screwed it all up for us. I mean, we had amazing opportunities when we started. Um, so we've we've kind of went through that, and then it's like you, we've had to start over in a sense. So it's like we you know we went through a couple of records and a lot of bad business and a right. lot of things, and then we decided you know what now it's time that this is like a make or break thing when we started the California Noir the, collection. This is the swing for the fence moment. Yeah, and we 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 decided and and I'll say reluctantly at first to try the crowdfunding option. Right. Um, we followed a path that we've seen a lot of other bands do, and we. Felt um, we felt really weird about it at first, as a lot of people did you, do. Did you feel like you were almost begging? Yeah, of course. For assistance. The, the hardest thing for us was trying to figure out how we were going to present it. Yeah. Was how we were going to present yeah. it, where we felt comfortable. And we tried some approaches, and we immediately saw them, and we were like, "Oh my God, this is so lame! Like, I, I can't. I'm not doing this." Right. And then, just by chance, I had been filming some 
some stuff around Long Beach, um, some high contrast kind of noir stuff. And this was the concept we were already going for. And it, and it just happened sort of organically that I was like, you know what? I wonder, I wonder if we approach this way of pr presentation differently. What if we almost make it like it's a movie, right? Where okay. we, we create these images yep. and we've already created the music and the right. music actually goes really well with this. This is us. This is our home. This is who we are. Okay. And so I started, I actually started writing the script for the Indiegogo thing. I don't, I'm not like a, a wordsmith. That's Ryan. Um, so I had actually jotted down a bunch of things, a bunch of ideas, and then showed Ryan the thing. And he was just like, this, this is it. Like, this is how we're going to present this. It's so much more interesting. Right. And then he ran with it and he, I let him, he did the voiceover, of course, because he's great at that. And once we did that, all of a sudden it felt right. Like, it was like, this. I think this could work. It's it's like you're making your fans a part of something. Yes. And, you you know, we have a perk where their name comes out on the album as a contributor. You know, so you get to open up a sleeve and your name is on it. Imagine if you would have done that growing up where your name came out in Oh, my God, your if you favorite. were looking at, like, a BTO album and you saw your name in there, you would have lost yeah. No, ima shit. imagine, like, for me, it would have been, like, Rush or something. Oh you know, when I was growing up, like, if I could have contributed, you know, $40 and got my name in the record and been, like, yeah. open it up. You would have been thinking wow. about that forever yeah. dude. it's it's like the coolest thing you know and i mean a lot of bands do it um but there's a reason and that is you know we learned in the process of doing this now because we've had like five number one uh indiegogo campaigns yeah. in the world yeah um we we really did a lot of due diligence before launching the first campaign and most of it paid off like really almost all of it so what we learned though is really it's those those interactions those connections those um you know making them a part of it is is what what makes it all work you understand that you're doing something that you know nowadays with the way that you know multimedia is now and you have facebook and you have twitter and you have instagram and you have all the opportunities to do stuff like that where you can get your stuff out there easily for free you understand that you're literally coming in on the back door on that stuff you still have the same old old school rock band mentalities the same drive the same passion behind it the same artistry but the technology that's mm -hmm. there now at this point. Yeah. Like people don't even understand that it's coming. Well, we're trying to even, like, we've cut out pretty much most of the middlemen at this point, but we're even trying to get to a point where there's none. Where we're actually, we're probably not going to do another Indiegogo or whatever because right. their, their, their site is very clunky. Okay. Um, there's a lot of problems with it, and we, we've even crashed it with our campaigns, which, yeah. I mean, we're not even that big of a band. Well, the this, thing this is, you guys is actually ridiculous. topped it on the charts there for Indiegogo, yeah. and if you can do that, then I mean, where do you go at that point? Well, that's what we're going to yeah. figure out. Um, I think we're going to start bringing it more in-house. We may keep that sort of formula, like okay. the way that it works, but we need to build it probably from our own site and just literally crowdfund it from our own site. It's, it's basically just a pre-order. I mean, everybody knows right. what it is, but they understand we, like I said, when we started that campaign, we kind of made everybody aware that like, this kind of has to work for us because there really isn't another way to do this anymore. Right. No major label is going to sign us. You know, we have to kind of start this from the ground up. And if you guys really love what we do and believe in what we do, then you need to be, become a part of what we're doing, become our record label, basically. And we're going to deliver. And once they started trusting us and over each campaign, I think it becomes more and more. They know now, like right. we're gonna we're we're gonna over deliver. Over -deliver. You know, we always try to under promise and over deliver every time. You know, so it's 
it's always like there's got to be some other little twist or a little surprise or just you know enough that when they get it they just go oh god this is so cool right you know and and i we just think about it like how would we feel you know how would right. what would we want as a fan you know right. and we also talk to all the fans we talk to them online we talk to them we meet yep. them and we find out what it is or we hear what they like or what they don't like or right. whatever and that's kind of how the whole uh, I don't know where that harmonic disruptor card went. I got it. So this is how yeah, this so you, came about. So you have this. Yeah, this is a campaign that's currently running on Indiegogo right now. It's in demand now because we hit our goal so quickly, and it's at like 800% Julian or something. Julian K. will melt your fucking face. Yeah. Get your pre-order in now and visit our Indiegogo campaign to access exclusive merchandise, one-time-only bonus material. <laughs> so you're giving the fans an opportunity to feel like they're part of it. Yeah. It's, so this this campaign, what we're so doing here is we're kind of creating, we're kind of going back to what I would say is what we're best at, I think, um, which is sonically, you're talking yeah, about music, sound wise, right? back to death to analog, back, back to ass. orgy, you know, like all this stuff, but we're going to pull it forward like we always okay. do. It's always something new, but um, I felt that it was time to kind of go back to kind of fuck things up. A bit I'm fucking again. stoked about it. It's like, it's, it's, <laughs> I really want everyone, I want to show everyone tomorrow what we've been working on. That's okay, how so excited that was my, I am. That was going to be my next question. Okay, so we're going to talk about the business stuff. What's happening for Julian K going forward? Well, touring right now. Right. Um, we have some other things going on this year. We're going to be going to Europe to do uh, a big benefit for Chester Bennington. Okay our friend in, right. in Italy and then I think we'll be doing a couple more shows probably well I know we're doing London and, and hopefully Berlin um, we have a show in Mexico at the end of the year and we have a tentative tour that we're talking about in October that um, we can't talk about what it is yet um, it's going to be a perfect tour for us if it, right. if it happens so let's hope that it does um, and then this right. is going to be yeah. What, whenever we can make time for it we'll get on it and uh, sure. you know Alex and Biddy have been collaborating on this album as well and we the there's a lot of stuff happening I don't think that we've really had yet right. you know so I, I feel like this is going to be a very strong record um, songs sound everything awesome guys appreciate really it thank you cool thank you the liquid conversations podcast is brought to you by dirtbag clothing wear it till it stinks